Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. Is there no greater feeling in this world than waking up to a series of notifications on Microsoft Outlook only to find that each and every one of those emails was total spam? and that you don't have to answer them at all. That's what I woke up to this morning, and it was wonderful. Welcome to Red Rock Relationships. I am your host, and we are doing a very special episode today. We have not done anything like it before. I am calling it the Summer Family Fiesta Showdown. And to help me do this, I have brought multiple guests to the table, all of whom have made appearances on this show. We're not going to do their whole background, but maybe can we just get like a hi, hello, how are you from each of our guests, starting with Lisa? Hi, I'm Van Rolta, and it's so great to see everybody here again. Tara, you want to say hi? Hi, I'm Tara Suwinyati Chaiporn, and it's an honor to be on this panel with all these distinguished scholars. <laughs> <laughs> Lori, how do you feel about that? Yo, Lori Badarczyk, coming from Cali. Actually, three of us are from Cali. That's true. Uh, excited to be here. So thanks for organizing this because, you know, it's hard to get five people together. It is hard to get five people together. And speaking of getting together, in the very next room, separated by just one piece of drywall, Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Hi, I'm Mark Generous. Anything but distinguished. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is an idea. I actually, I think that this was actually Lori's idea to, to get several of us together and to talk about some of the stuff that we just love talking about, but haven't really had the opportunity to do. Normally we go to conferences to have these conversations, but of course the world shut down for a year. And so, you know, I can think of no better way to kick off uh, the, um, you know, the, the good news surrounding the pandemic than by having a an, an online conference. I don't, I don't know how that helps, but I really just wanted to see all of you fine people. For those who don't know, we all spent time at Arizona State University together. We were a closely knit group of colleagues and friends. I did karaoke with Mark. Lisa was a roommate of mine. Um, I did work with Tara and hung out with Lori and uh, and all of those good things. Um, so it's just good to have everybody back in the same room. It's nice, right? Yeah, yeah that's Sun Devils right there. Maybe. Yes. I, I, I'm like, what? Which one is it? We were there for four years and I don't even <laughs> Yeah, I didn't go to one football game. I can't believe they gave me a PhD. I'm shook. <laughs> <laughs> don't be silly. You you definitely did one or two things deserving of that of that yeah, degree. Yeah, I worked hard. <laughs> we all worked hard. We all worked hard. And uh, the, the fruits of those labor are being shown, of course, on applications such as Instagram and TikTok, where we all have a presence. Um, and I actually just finished filming a TikTok video about the major histocompatibility complex. So that's fun. Isn't that fun? That's so much fun. Um, I'm scared to join TikTok. You should be. You should be. It's a weird place. It's a lot. <laughs> um, we, we may get to talking about the um, major histocompatibility complex in a little bit here, so we can define it then if we need to. But uh, what I really wanted to do for this panel, this discussion is just talk about like the things that we've been working on 
where our research has gone and what it's taught us about relationships. Because I think that there's this very clear but often not discussed di divide between like the academic literature uh, literature and how it can be liter literature academic literature and how it can be applied to the actual real world and i i think it happens through translational um scholarship like kind of what we're doing here but you know if you talk to people about their relationships, you're going to hear very different things uh, as opposed to if you talk to a relational scholar. And so my goal for this is to blend those two as well as we can and figure out where we've got common ground and where people are just simply on off base in, in both instances. How do we feel about that? Good. I feel like I'm talking to a classroom right now. Why am I doing this? <laughs> that sounds great. Okay, let's start with, uh, you know, we have like a loose schedule of things that uh, that I wanted to talk about. But um, in that whole thing, uh, Mark had a really good idea, which is why don't we just start by unpacking what we mean when we talk about relationships? Like that's in the title of this show. And I don't think we have ever taken a moment to be like, what is a relationship? So what is a relationship? the most broad question that I could possibly ask. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's it's transformed quite a bit with the idea of online communication. I don't know about y'all, but I talk to my students a lot about TikTok and social media mm -hmm. because that's where their lives are. Mm -hmm. And they tell me that they use that not only to form relationships online, but that is a bulk of their conversation with each other is sharing TikTok videos. Some of them say that their entire relationships and their friendships are just memes. And I think that's so interesting. And so I think at the root of that is this idea that I feel understood and that's a subjective element, right? Because to be understood through memes might happen when we're younger, but change as we get older. So I think that's the crux of relationships is this idea that I feel understood by you. Mm. And can I just cut, are, are we still using the word meme? Are we still? Are we not? I don't know. I don't know. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared. I posted a TikTok where I used the word meme, and now I'm like, oh no, are we not using that word anymore? I'm just nervous. Is it not PC? I'm not sure. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's not PC. It's probably not cool. That, yes. It's not cool. I want to be cool so bad. <laughs> You're really aging yourself, Mark. No, geez, my goodness. But what do y'all think about that idea of being understood? Should yeah. we like bounce off that or new ideas? <laughs> what, what came up for me when you said that is like this idea of like, is it, isn't it called idiomatic behaviors? Yes. Those yeah. kind of like things that you have, like inside jokes with your friends. I feel like I have a girlfriend of mine and of course we have a relationship outside of online, but she's one of the only people I DM on Instagram and it is, it's just memes back and forth. And it's funny because she will send me memes cause she's like, this reminded me of you. And I'm like, oh, like, yes, that is so me. And so I, I think there's this, like, you feel understood when somebody has that, like, oh, I know you enough to pick out a meme that is perfect for you. You know what I think it is to, is sort of building a history with someone, even if it's something not like a super deep history, like there's so many different ways that we could, define or different threads to understand relationships. But even think about sort of my, I guess my like superficial friends where we just send jokes back 
and forth to one another, but we're like building that history of joking together. Or sometimes students say, yeah, like I had a friend in this class when I took it with you a couple of years ago, but we don't talk anymore. But in that semester, we were really good friends. And I think they like had that like shared history. So I wonder if like part of that is like feeling understood because we were experiencing the same stuff. So there's probably something there as well. Interesting. I definitely agree with Lisa in terms of like, I think a relationship with the most unique way to, I mean, the most general way to define it, it's a unique connection between two people. And like every two people, it's a unique connection. Like what I have with Lisa is different, what I have with Mark's different, what I have with Lori is different, and like what I have with my sexual partner is different, what I have with my uh, like relational partner is different. So I think it's a, it's a unique connection between two people. Yeah. So maybe if we put it together, maybe it's like a unique way of being understood by another person. Yes. Yeah. Mm. You know, Lisa, you brought up something interesting about your student being like, hey, we're friends in the semester and then we're not friends. And yeah. I, I hear too, like there's a lot of this talk about, I need to get rid of the toxic people in my life. The toxic people have to go. I think more than ever, we've become so individualistic where we're like, if you don't serve me anymore, you're no longer in my life. And I don't remember my parents or people that are older in my life ever having that type of language. Their mindset was very much loyalty. And so have we, has our loyalty toward relationships changed? Or do you think that we just have so many more relationships now because we have access to many more people? Mm -hmm. And I feel like we grew up in a generation where our self-care is so much more important. So we're like, you know what? Like you just sort of grow out of some of your relationships and having those conversations with students sometimes too, like, hey, like sometimes you just got to let friends go even, you know, not even just romantic partners, but there's some people that you just don't jive with or you grow out of each other. And I, yeah, I think you're right, Mark. I don't think that was such a huge part of our parents' generations, but now I feel like our relationships, I don't know, we probably, it's so much easier to have these not superficial, but I don't know, not as intimate relationships, just like a lot of them. And, and sometimes they fly away. Yeah. And the shared history, like how do you build that if it's so short? And is that maybe contributing to like our increased loneliness? I don't know. Just skin hunger. I Can we talk about skin like, hunger? <laughs> it's my it favorite. Isn't that like kind of sad to think about though, that like we have kind of gotten to the point where and, and I think like a lot of people, this is why <clears throat> I watch a lot of like my students and, and even my friends go through breakups and divorces so easily because it's like, oh, well, I can just, the, the alternatives, mm. there's so many of them. And I can just, you know, leave this friend or get rid of this person and find 18 others to fill that space instead of like working through those problems and actually becoming closer and building that relationship because I think we've gotten to the point where it's like as soon as something starts to go wrong or like we're momentarily unhappy, we're like, oh, well, then I guess this relationship's just over. Instead of saying, okay, like, you know, is it really that we shouldn't have a relationship anymore or do we actually just need to step back and put some time and effort into building or getting past whatever roadblock mm. we've hit 
And so I think that, you know, that's why we see like a lot of dating relationships not taking off and not becoming committed is because people kind of sit in this space of, you know, I can go online and find swipe through a hundred other people mm-hmm. who have the color eyes I want and who say the things that I want them to say to me and, you know, whatever we're looking for. So I, I kind of wonder too, as great as it is that we can let toxic people out of our lives, do we let some people out of our lives too easily because we can? Right. And so that's what, that's what I think about. Like with relationships, it's a little different, I think, because you, if you're searching for someone to date or someone to sleep with, it's, you know, your criteria are different, but especially when it comes to friendships, it makes me wonder, are people just, um, avoiding dealing with difficult struggles under the guise of toxicity. Like, oh, this person is toxic and they need to go. Um, and and it, it makes me think of when we had Callie Graham on the show to talk about what are, what truly what toxic relationships look like. And, you know, they are demarked by a series of pretty specific and replicable behaviors. And it's like, so like, did my, did my friend sleep with my partner? Like that's a toxic behavior, right? Or is it just that, is it just that my friend keeps breaking plans, right? Like, and, and my friend is breaking, breaking plans over and over and over again. Is it that this person is toxic or is it that this person is busy? And can I not handle the fact that this person is not prioritizing me right now? Is that grounds to end a friendship? I don't know. But or like, have you never actually voiced to your friend that it annoys you right. that they always exactly. cancel you, right? Like, have you actually had a conversation and spoken to that person? Or do you just never, like, you just leave the relationship mm-hmm. because you're like, oh, this person's toxic. Well, why don't you tell them that it bothers you when they're late? Mm-hmm. And then if they don't change that behavior, then that's probably a concern. But if you've never actually told them that, you don't like that. Okay, so can I ask this as it pertains, and this is an open question for anyone, but as it pertains to like those toxic, the toxic, um, put it in quotes, what are some of those like, the, the word that comes to mind for me is invisible toxic behaviors. Like what is a toxic behavior that doesn't really seem too harmful, but indeed might be quite harmful to a relationship or result in, in a high degree of conflict? Any thoughts there? I have stumped everybody. I'll I'll jump in. Like, I think that, so toxic behaviors that we might not think. So my big thing and and my partner has coined this term because I have now found out I have a lot of them. Um, He calls them preferences. I have very. That's so sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Like close the shower curtain when you get out of the shower or, you know, like I like things a certain way. And instead of call, like, and I just remember in, in previous relationships, I was aware that that might annoy people or be high maintenance. And so I never voiced them. And so I actually think a toxic behavior in a way is not communicating, like not allowing your partner to ever really know you and, and kind of creating a persona that is perfection or what you want them to see when it isn't. Mm. And then what happens is sooner or later, (laughs) you're going to reveal yourself. Like you can't do that forever. And so I've had, you know, a previous partner where like after years of dating found out who they really were and you were like, like I felt so deceived and I felt so like confused because I'm like, you were so good at being this person I thought you were that I don't even know what's real. Right. And, and, and then it really yeah. 
fucked up my trust in other people because I I didn't know if the if, if who my partner was was really who they were. Mm. So it's like you don't even see that as being a behavior and you won't know, but I think not voicing those preferences, not voicing and expressing who you really are yeah. in a relationship because you want to be something that you think that person wants mm-hmm. or that you think you should be in a relationship. The idealized well, that, version, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that attaches to social comparison, right? I mean, how many of us have done things in our relationships because we're like, well, my friend said they did this and it makes them really happy, so I think I need to start doing that too. And then we don't really think about whether or not that's something we do want to do. Mm. Yeah. I'm looking at my face frozen right now. It is, <laughs> it is frozen in Mark. When I show my students the seven universal emotional expressions, that is fear. I That is straight up fear in e- exemplify. In every, oh, we're going to, we're going to isolate the visual. We're going to isolate. Oh my God. I'll give you all the emotions. <laughs> Mark, I mention you, I mention you in that class all the time as the person who taught me the importance of facial exercises in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Very important. I think so, it's really interesting that I feel like we might be in a time right now where we still have this enormous non-speaking type of like not revealing yourself, like what Laurie was talking about. Like we're still trying to teach our students and we're still trying to get this relationship or get this research out there to tell people like, hey, communication is a really huge part of cultivating a a supportive and loving and and lasting relationship. So I feel like that is still something that people are working on. However, when you're talking about sort of toxic relationships, I feel like now more than ever, we are far more um, open about talking about bad things in our relationships. And we even see celebrities saying like, Hey, I struggle through this too. And marriage is hard. It's not perfect. And they've cheated and we're still trying or, Mm. you know, it could be anything. So I feel like there are these huge topics that people are far more permissive. Like they're more likely to talk about, which is great. So we've got that one side of it. And we still have people that are, trying to, uh, yeah, I don't know, like present themselves like a social impression in a way like, oh, this is how I should act to get this person in my life. And, and I've done that for a long time. And it wasn't until I stopped doing that and I was truly myself that everything came together for me. Like it's incredible how, how quickly those things can change. Um, but it's tough. It's tough to, uh, um, be vulnerable enough, I guess, and, and to mm. put your faith in other people that they will take your true self and sort of like cherish it and protect it or at least be honest back to you. Mm. And I think that's especially true when you talk about adolescents and young adults, right? These are people who are either in the middle of dealing with or are just on the other side of dealing with a massive influx of hormones, a massive influx of social expectations. And in the case of, for example, the college student, like you're talking about looking at a lot of different people, which means a lot of options for you, for friendships, for sexual relationships, for partnerships, and also a lot of competition. Like if you go to college gyms, you 
to some very, very attractive people. And then you may start to second guess yourself or question the way that you look or question what you should be doing. And then you take into, you factor in things like Instagram relationships and the way that people present themselves versus the way that reality actually is. And it creates this warped series of ideals. And I think that at a societal level, that's like an invisible toxic thing that is just now, as Lisa was saying, uh, sort of coming to light. And uh, I think it's good. I think it needs unpacking. Should we put a bow on toxicity? I feel like we've talked about enough negative stuff. <laughs> should we talk about some fun stuff? Um, should we talk about, um, as they call it on TikTok, and this, this is going to make me feel very cool. They call it SEGS with two Gs. S-E-G-G-S, -G -G right? Um, What's that? Uh, it, it's sex. It's just that you spell it oh. S-E-G-G. -G. You spell it that way when you're when you're doing the little typey texties so that you don't get flagged by the algorithm, right? And I, I don't think anybody's actually flagging that, but it's it's almost become a joke to spell racy words in different ways to not get caught by the algorithm. It's like this weird ongoing joke that everybody acknowledges. So so let's let's talk about it. Tara, I know you had some things that you wanted to get to. We, you, you wanted to talk about sexual esteem, sexual health, which is what you do on your social media platforms. I was going to say they do flag you because when I first started it, I used to just spell out sex and uh, some of the videos would not go through and it says that you break the guidelines oh. of app. So now I do like S-E-G-G-S -G -G -S or S and then three yeah. <laughs> X. But uh, yeah, like it's, it's the same thing. But uh, I was thinking of talking about, you know, sexual health in terms of for like people that are 20 something, right? Like mm -hmm. I often tell my students, like I was not this person uh, eight years ago. Uh, and, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, Laura, you know it. <laughs> I was not this person eight years ago. And I was, you know, I was very much like a newbie in like my twenties. I had so much sexual anxiety throughout until like late twenties. Mm. So I, you know, I'm like a late bloomer, like in my late twenties, I've explored a lot, but, uh, before that it, it, I experienced a lot of sexual anxiety and I share that, uh, with all my students because I think it's totally fine if you're, you know, 22 and you're confused and you don't know what you like and you don't know where to put things. And, uh, and that's like, yeah, that's what I talk about in my sexual communication class. Um, where should we start? I think let's start with the first thing, right? Consent. I think Lori can talk a little bit about like various definitions in which, um, college students are now talking about like, how do we get and give consent? Mm. Is that a cute, is that? It might be. It might now? be. <laughs> well, we can refer people back to the podcast that I did because mm -hmm. there was a whole episode on that. But uh, I mean, it, just from my perspective, I think, I don't know that this is a shift that has been completely made yet, but it's, a, it's something that I really do my best to communicate in any of the workshops that I do or any of the speaking that I do across the country is like, I like to look at it as a positive thing. I think we for so long associated consent with sexual assault. So like we need to do this to make sure we don't rape or sexually assault somebody instead of, Hey, like, why don't we start talking about this? Because it's going to make our 
romantic and sexual relationships more pleasurable overall. Mm-hmm. And in, in by default will also prevent sexual assault from happening, mm-hmm. right? So if we're talking about it in a positive way, like how do we communicate yes? What does yes look like? What does yes sound like? Uh, you know, what are your, and I think this goes back to the sexual self-esteem stuff is, is what do I want? And like, it wasn't until Tara, like, I I remember challenging you and just being like, what feels good to you? And you're like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, you, you can't possibly communicate that to somebody else until you know it. So if you're relying on figuring out what feels good or what you like based on what other people do to you, then you're not like, all you're doing is, I mean, you're doing yourself a disservice, right? So if you're not exploring your own body, if you're not figuring out what your own boundaries are, right? I'm okay with this. I'm not okay with this. I'm open to this. Mm. Right. And I don't decide those things by myself and, and really kind of, lean into the value of that and then communicate that to my partner, it's not going to be a great experience for anybody. And so I think, you know, that sexual self-esteem piece is the individual piece that if we don't have that, we're not going to communicate our wants and needs, which I think overlaps with consent. Yeah. And, and just to speak, Lori, to like the forces that are combating that ideology, uh, you know, I, see a lot of this, especially on places like TikTok, there are massive swaths, mostly made up of men who are interested in inhibiting everything that you just said, interested in, in turning that faucet off. Uh, these, you know, there are, I'm not going to, most of them are, are labeled um, words that I'm not going to share on here, but there are men who are discouraging people from self-exploration, discouraging people from intaking that sort of media, discouraging people from being open and honest, not just about what they like, but even more importantly about what they dislike in the bedroom and, and essentially creating an environment where it's not to be talked about. And if you don't like it, that's just too bad for you. So how do we uh, how sorry, do we tackle so can that we actually say say the words and who like are these like old white men and they're calling women like no, sluts, no. well like what, what is that unfortunately in my experience it's mostly younger men um uh, and there uh, and so i the things that come to mind um the, there's a there's a group called uh well, I'll, I guess I'll just say it and we can bleep it if we have to. It's called NoFap, which is this idea of never, ever, ever, ever touching yourself, never, ever engaging in any sort of sexual exploration at all. And unfortunately, it has been co-opted by some hate groups as a way of just saying that it increases your testosterone, makes you stronger, makes you more virile. And what's happening is instead, all that's going on is massive amounts of sexual frustration combined with isolation techniques that create a group of very confused and, and angry young men who um, unfortunately take that confusion and anger out on their potential partners and on random strangers who they feel like they either cannot um, attain or or are not worth their attention. It's a very strange complex that I still don't fully understand. Well, I think to dance around the idea that sex throughout history and until today is inextricably linked to morality. Mm. So whenever we talk about sex, I mean, we can't talk... 
I know we're talking about sexual liberation, like, yes, explore, explore, explore. But I think we're negating that sex is not divorced from morality, religion, spirituality, which has been perpetuated for decades, if not centuries, throughout uh, print media, radio media, televised media, movies, and now social media. And truthfully, I am wondering, like, what younger generations coming up are thinking about sex or if they're even having as much sex because there's so much information. I'm 32 and I'm overwhelmed. I couldn't imagine spending eight hours a day on TikTok at the age of 21 and not just being completely overwhelmed with all of these different ideas and perspectives and thinking about which one do I embody and which one do I take. Mm. That's stressful. Oh, I, I, so much empathy goes out to them. Mm. That's That's a lot, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, we had the sexual revolution in the 1970s, right? So mm. we had these groups of people who were sex positive and they were very open and communicative and it was great. Um, and we sort of fast forward to today where we are more permissive again, like people have a wider range of attitudes and they talk about it more, but it's not exactly completely talked about, right? And I think I've seen it a couple times. Some relatively recent data shows that people now, young folk now, you know, adolescents are having significantly less sex than uh, even our generation or the generation before us. So it's so strange that they have more access maybe to people to have sex, but they're not having as much sex. Mm. And I and I I don't know if I could even speculate why. That's, but how interesting that we're seeing shifts in, I don't know, attitudes, but also shifts in behaviors. Yeah. I don't know, it's complex. If I had to speculate, I'm going to say maybe a, a grand claim. I think it's porn. Um, I remember when I was growing up, like I had to sneak onto the family computer at night when my parents were asleep to watch porn. Like that's how I knew I was gay as I started watching bisexual porn. And I was like, then eventually I just got the woman out and I was like, now I'm just into gay porn. But um, I think these kids are learning about sex through their phones and social media and porn. And they're like, well, I can't have sex like that. So I'm just not going to do it at all mm. and live in this fantasy world. That's my speculation. Okay. Thoughts? All right. You sound a little bit like Ted Bundy, but I'll let it slide. <laughs> I do. I'm just kidding. I'm just, just like HIV, AIDS, STDs, STIs. Like, I mean, we did not talk about that stuff as much no. when I was, you know, like just seeing and hearing so much about that. It's like, I think some of it is like, I want, I don't know who you are. Like, I want to protect myself. I'd like to think that some of it has to do with that, but did you know that there's a strain of chlamydia that's not treatable anymore? <laughs> yep. The anxiety just went up. <laughs> wow. Good news. Isn't that terrifying? <laughs> the number of students that I saw, and this was, you know, back in between like 2007 to 2012. So, you know, we're talking over 10 years ago or about 10 years ago. I was in high school how, in 2007. How many... I was not. I was teaching. <laughs> I was a health educator at San Diego State University. And um, I did one-on-one -on -one health counseling. So, like, when students, you know, got a positive STD test or positive pregnancy test, they would come in and, and we would, you know, give them information and mm -hmm. talk to them about it. I can't tell you how many students I saw with herpes. 
and and they first of all acted like their life was over and to be perfectly honest your life is not over if you have an STI or an STD and there's nothing wrong I mean we we also stigmatize that so heavily uh, which is horrible and that's a whole nother topic but like I think there's still just this fear of like wow like there's all these strains of everything mm -hmm. and I know that would that would petrify me if I was you know in college and hooking up randomly mm. and oh gosh so um we've recently uh, we're publishing a study right now on friends of benefits and rules and studied a couple hundred college students and asked them to report on what rules they had in their friends of benefits relationship and something that's yeah i know we're waiting for the reviewers to get back um but something that we were really surprised about was that there was like no rules about sexual safety and fairly minimal rules about sexual consent. Like it was so weird that Very it it's like Mark was saying, it's, 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 uh, individualistic, right? It's, if I'm remembering the data correctly and I'm not on the study, so correct me when I misspeak, but it, it, it's stuff like, well, we're only allowed to sleep with people every other Thursday or like when you sleep with somebody, I don't want to hear about it or I only want to hear about it. And then we can't sleep together for like 48 hours, like weird, depressing, sad rules like that. Um, and, and then, like you said, nothing about consent, nothing about protection, which is, which are where the rules need to be right from a sexual health standpoint. Did I, get I mean, that? I think that you could say, though, I mean, like that we call that sexual exclusivity, right? There were a lot of rules about, you know, mm. we're exclusive or I'm exclusive. You know, you have to be exclusive, but I don't. Mm. And we don't know why. Right. And so that could be because of the safety issue or that could just be because they, you know, don't want, you know, they want an exclusive relationship, but they don't want the emotion. I mean, there's a lot of reason why they may be voicing that want for exclusivity. Mm. But I also think too, like, I don't think students use the word consent. Mm. I think that we have to tease that out of things because they're doing it and they're talking about it. They just aren't recognizing it as consent mm. because yeah. we are still stuck on consent being something that I do or I communicate because I want to make sure I'm not raping somebody right. or sexually assaulting them. And if I mention consent, that means I'm worried that my partner isn't consenting and oh, I should yeah. just know. And so I think that they are doing that, but we just need to tease out what they're calling it or how they're talking about it. Well, I think it's the same thing with friends with benefits relationships in general, right? Like you have to tease that label out because people don't like to say that. They say things like we're talking or, you know, I'm, I'm seeing this person or like, right? they don't want to be like, I'm in a friends with benefits relationship because that's very 1995. And it also labels it. And of course, the whole idea here is that we're trying not to label. I think that there's a parallel between that and consent where it's like, if I label it as a consensual seeking behavior, then like you said, Lori, there's a risk that I'm might not be doing everything right and I don't want to explore the possibility that I'm not which is of course entirely ironic because that's <laughs> that's the whole idea right you need to explore those things to make sure that everybody's having a good enthusiastic and that's the word that comes to mind for me and you taught me that Lori en enthusiastic yeah. um, and so when things are lacking in enthusiasm that's probably the best time to check in am I wrong yeah and you don't have to stop right <laughs> Like I, you know, I do an activity with students where, you know, they have green cards, red cards, and yellow cards. Mm. And I give them like scenarios and like, 
red is stop, right? And yellow is pause and keep talking. And green is go keep communicating. And everybody loves using green and red, but nobody likes the yellows. And I'm like, wait a second, like that scenario, like you're not sure what your partner wants to do. They're like, yeah. oh, stop. <laughs> you're like, no, like that's a, that's a pause and talk, but everybody's so afraid of just like it, it not being a, you know, people don't want to talk. They either just want to stop and avoid it or they just want to assume everything's good and full speed ahead. Wow. I like that. Can you send me that activity? Yeah. That sounds really cool. I don't know. Tara, what do you, you look like you've been like stewing around thinking about stuff as it relates to like sexual health. Where, where does like esteem and health fall on this continuum? Well, circling back on what you asked, right? You guys were talking about this new study that's saying that college students or young people are not having as much sex. And based on, you know, like just hundreds of students in my sexual communication class each, each semester, we talk openly about sex. And uh, I think it's turning towards like a more positive um, aspect than you might think. Uh, a lot of my students say it's quality over quantity. Mm. Uh, and I really like that. I teach sexual mindfulness in my class and, you know, we do a lot of like breath work and we talk about like different senses in the body, um, really like erogenous zones and what, it, what does it feel like? So I think maybe it's moving towards uh, like mindfulness and also with this rise of, you know, self-care uh, and mindfulness practices, meditation, like so much guided meditation on Spotify um, and just people learning about journaling and just learning about yourself too. Like I've been on a long, like five year journey of self-discovery and my students as well. And now they're having, you know, those that are sharing, they're having amazing sex with their partner because they are like slowly doing it and learning. Um, I don't think that uh, a lot of times when people of previous generation or like even, you know, us like that are in our like thirties or forties or whatever, talking about like 21 year old, I think there's a lot of misconception that they tend to be reckless or mm. not communicative. Um, my personal experience with them is they are like learning a shit ton and they, you know, they follow like self care or like psychology page on Instagram and they're learning our Godman and they're using those activities that Godman put out. Um, so I do think we're moving towards like a positive, um, overall, like generational change. Wow. That's nice. I like that. That makes me feel yeah. better. Yeah. Uh, Tara, I think it's are, are you teaching a class on like sexual communication? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would love yeah. to, Sean, do you think, years. you think that would ever work at this university, a class on sex comm? Yeah. You think so? Yeah. He's, she, in, he's, he's giving an enthusiastic yes. And that's what we were talking about. Right. <laughs> Here, absolutely. Oh, yeah, sure. They'll go for it. No problem. Totally, absolutely, totally, fully go for it. Maybe someday. It's usually at those universities where it would have, it's like, the most yeah, necessary. Yeah. I'll write up a PLO right now. I, I think that maybe that's something we try to do post-tenure. <laughs> I mean, I can't. Of, I wait, can't wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Speaking of tenure, Tara, congratulations on early tenure. That's so exciting. Thank you so much. Well done. Uh, it's nice. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So um, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, um, 
first the first time I taught this class I was really nervous because I, I was thinking what can I say you know I'm in Orange County it's still leaning um, conservative when it comes to you know, lifestyle and mm. sex so I wasn't sure like what can I say I kept pushing pushing and pushing you know now like first day of class I say anal and then see how it goes <laughs> and, <laughs> and if nobody is cringing I'm like okay we're good that's fair. And of course, one of us someday will need to fulfill Dr. Mongeau's desire to teach a class called Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. Uh, I don't know how that's going to happen. That might be something if somebody gets into like deanship, if, if one of us gets into administration, we may be able to pull those strings, make make Paul happy one of these days. And one of these days he'll get on the show too. But, um, but yeah, I think that that is a really interesting dynamic. And just to enter such an immersive experience in the classroom, especially given the fact that we're dealing with a classroom where things are, you know, of the highest ethical standard and, and, you know, taught by an expert who understands the importance of, of delivering messages in a way that fosters learning and understanding rather than, for example, just hopping on TikTok and trying your best to learn about sex through TikTok. That can, that rabbit hole can get really deep, really fast. Um, and so, you know, that is uh, uh, truly the Lord's work. Uh, and I wish that I was in a position to teach a similar class because it would be so much fun. Oh, one of my favorite things is guest speakers and students get to learn directly from a person that actually has that live experience. Wow. Like, you know, I, I can bring in like a BDSM practitioner, mm. um, a sex dungeon owner, and really it opens their eyes. They have no idea that these things exist and mm. actually quite commonly practice in L.A. Um, oh, yeah. So. It's, it's pretty amazing that I can, you know, show that to my students and they, they, it's not only about sex to them now. Like once they learn that, they're like, whoa, then what else is out there? And it kind of helps them not be scared of it or, or judge it or, you know, so at the end of the day, I feel like it's such a positive outcome. Like it's super fulfilling. I love teaching this class. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, there's obviously a lot to unpack there. Um, if we can shift, unless, did, did anybody else have other thoughts? Because I see this as a natural shifting point. I just had one thought. Mm -hmm. This is all so wonderful and it would not go down well in Texas. Mm. Like it is not a, um, it's not even like a sought after. They're not even interested in that stuff. So it's interesting, like the location geographically where you live and grow up, what your background is, what your culture is like can make such a shift into your mindset, I suppose, which yeah. is sad and interesting and, and all the things, but I just had that thought. Yeah. Are, are the, do you think that the students aren't interested or that it's more, cause I, from my experience, I've spoken, I've had the opportunity to speak at schools across the country and some that are like very tiny uh, very conservative as in like they live in a dry county. Right. And I have found that those are actually the ones where the students are like <laughs> thirsty like, for the knowledge. Me, really, like, truly. And, and they don't, they don't want to admit, but at the same time, it's like all, I think to the people who invite me, you know, I've been told like, Hey, you should, you know, make sure you're censoring yourself and these things. And like, 
I think the first time I went in, I was like, you know what, F that, like, I'm just going to go in and, and there's nothing in my presentations that's so like, you know, bad or a scale, just, you know, refrain from saying the F word, but like, they come up to me afterwards, like all the, like the people who work there and they're like, this is all the stuff that we want to say to them, but because we work here, (laughs) we can't but like we can't control what you do and the students are just so happy i don't know that they just didn't know that they needed that or wanted that or wanted to have that conversation but like i really wonder if the students wouldn't want to or think that they shouldn't mm. yeah. yeah it's an 100%. interesting distinction i would say that where i am is there's at least more students who are not interested. There's still a ton that are very interested and would love to talk about that. There's just maybe a little bit more who really are like, hmm, nah. Mm. I think I, I do think it, it is a societal constraint that is especially targeted toward young people. A concerted effort, I would even say, to get young people to dislike their own bodies and dislike the skin that they are in and to, to, to and not only to dislike it, but also to avoid questioning why they feel that way. I think that those things go hand in hand, and it's really sad. It's really sad. Anyway, let's talk again. We ended on a sad note again. Let's shift. Uh, this is really the last thing that I wanted to get to during our time together, and it's a little bit more platonic in nature. It's still very much uh, about communication and intimacy. But uh, one thing that I really wanted to spend some time talking about were immediacy behaviors and relationship maintenance behaviors, and I think that there's a lot of overlap there. And so maybe if we can shift the conversation away from like explicit sexual acts, as the kids are saying, and, and move more to uh, like a question on, you know, what are some of the things that we can do to, for example, if we are in one of these highly ambiguous relationships, what are some things that we can let people uh, do for people to let them know that we're feeling them, that we've caught the feels, that we are... Um, wanting a connection with them aside from the direct message of I've got a crush on you and I want to be in a relationship with you. Like what are some, uh, maybe if we think about it from like a secret test perspective uh, and Leslie Baxter's work on secret tests, what are some things that we can do to explore that possibility? I think first um, you have to be a really good self-monitor, right? Like you have to have a lot of self-awareness and understand what your behaviors, how that's affecting other people. Because if you have no idea how your behaviors are influencing others, then you're going to have a really tough time learning whether someone likes you without directly asking them, right? Mm. Um, but when you mentioned immediacy behaviors, some some first things that come to my mind straight away are some nonverbal behaviors, especially in the U.S. culture. Eye contact is hugely important for creating interest or, or, or even starting a conversation with someone, um, being physically close to someone, not even touching, but moving towards that person, you create the opportunity to start conversations. And again, you can assess how they're reacting to you, I think would be an easy way to, um, garner interest of someone. Okay. So proximate cues are big, right? closing space between people. I'm sorry, Mark, I think I cut you off. No, that's okay. I, yeah, you know, (laughs) can I say something that I don't ever do, but that like, I 
wish I did more. And so this is what I would encourage people to do. It's very much like a Brene Brown vulnerability approach. Like if you like somebody and you wanna be in a relationship with them and you don't tell them, it's kind of like what Lori was saying earlier, like aren't you robbing them of that authenticity? Mm. And then and in, this, in the same vein, like if you tell me you wanna be in a relationship with them and they're like, well, I don't want that, good, I'm glad I know, mm-hmm. goodbye. It will hurt like hell. And I'm saying this as a hypocrite who does not do this. Like I wanna do the more indirect ones, like secret tests. But then also when I'm doing that, I know that that's not great. Right, that's not the best thing to do. I think the best thing to do, especially in that ambiguous space, call out the ambiguity, like WTF, what's going on? I like you, you into this? Do you want more of this? <laughs> and, and I have I have an entire presentation that I do for students that, that is, can we talk? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's all about this. And, and I would say that asking the question of how do we do this like non-verbally and secretly is encouraging people to continue these behaviors that it's mm. like, I'm miserable because I don't know how you feel and I'm gonna sit in this like, I don't wanna say anything because maybe you don't want anything. And then if you don't want anything, then we're not gonna continue hooking up. And so I talk to students and I say, listen, like you need to get straight on what you want. If you don't want a relationship, then you need to let this person know that you're hanging out with that you don't want a relationship and Mm. that's not where you want something to go. If you do want a relationship, you know what? You want a relationship and that's okay. Mm. And if that person doesn't want it, then yeah, like Mark said, on to the next. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna pull in some Ariana Grande here, like on to the next. (laughs) Yeah, destroy destroy my talking point, I love it. Like, I I mean, like I just, as soon as you asked that, I was like, we're just perpetuating this idea. And like everything that I do in all of my talks is like, here are things that you can say because people are sick of sitting in these, is it, isn't it? Do you want to, do you not want to like, Hey, do like, I was just telling Chris, like, or I'm sorry, Mark earlier, my, my partner, Chris, (gasps) uh, like we'll wake up in the morning and he'll be like, Hey, like, do you want to do the sex later? And I'm like, yeah, that, that sounds good. Like, let's do this. Right. And like, we, I mean, that's our, you know, our weird behavior, but like we, I, I just feel like if, if you want something, if you think something, instead of him like rubbing up against me and being like, mm, does she maybe want to have sex? Mm. And like, it's like, why not just be like, Hey, here's, here's what I'm thinking. What do you feel about that? And then it gives me the opportunity to be like, you know what? Sometimes I don't. Right. I know we're going back to sex, but like, you know, there have been times where it's like, hey, you know what? Like, I want to go down on you. And he's like, "Uh, you know what? Like, that sounds amazing. But like, I have to be up for work in 15 minutes and it's four o'clock in the morning. And like, I really would rather sleep for 15 minutes. And I'm like, sweet, cool. I get to roll over and not, you know, like it's, you know, the I think that being able to be direct um, and, and it all goes back to what do I want? Am I clear on what I want? And, and if I'm not, then I need to do some self work before I continue in that relationship. So okay. I, I the, this whole nonverbal thing, not that we can't do it, but I always think it should be a mix of nonverbal and verbal, uh, communication when we are trying to communicate. Okay, so then let me push a little bit more. And this is not just for Lori. This is for anyone who wants to answer it. How do we get better 
at doing that? How do we get better at becoming that version of ourselves where we are like for just a personal story? Like, uh, when I want to have meta talk, I literally text or call or turn and say to the person, um, it's time for meta talk, which is like a little running joke, right? When I'm seeing somebody, um, but not everybody is comfortable or wants to do it that explicitly. So how do we get better at promoting that sort of explicit conversation? You do it. Hard like truth. you, you have like, so I always use this analogy. I say communication is a skill and just like anything else, we have to practice it. And I use the metaphor of surfing, right? Mm. Like you don't paddle out and just surf. Like you will eat shit over and over and over and over again. And even when you get good at surfing, you will probably continue to eat shit because there is something there that you can never control. And that's the water and the wave. Mm. It will always be changing and different and the tides will be different and the you know wave size and the direction. And that's the same thing with communication, right? Mm we have an element there that we cannot control. And that's the other person. We don't know what their response is gonna be. We might say the same thing to five different people and have a totally different reaction. But if we don't do it, if we don't practice it, if we don't try it, then we're never gonna get good at it. So when I talk to people and I say, here's how my partner and I talk to each other. I didn't just wake up one day and do that. And I still do it wrong sometimes, but unless we practice, unless we do it and try it, we don't find a way that works for us and we can't figure it out. Mm. So how do we do it? We don't just not communicate. We have to be willing to say, here's what I want and I'm gonna try to express it. And if I F up and this person doesn't like it, then you know what, at least I'm speaking my truth. And they can't fault me for that. And the next time it'll be better. And so that's kind of how I liken it. It's like this idea of, it's a skill. We have to practice it. We're yeah. not gonna get good at it unless we try. That's tough. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a hard truth. I think you're, I think you're right. Um, I just think like you were saying, it takes time. I don't know, Lisa, Tara, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think when it pertains to romantic relationships, absolutely, like we need to be talking about it. And again, we're in a culture where direct communication is valued, right? We really appreciate that. And Lori's absolutely right. Like if you want to get better at it, you just have to do it. Like you have to practice it. And sometimes you might be really bad and sometimes it won't go well. And other times it will be fantastic. When you were talking about immediacy and I was thinking about research on immediacy, I was thinking not just romantic relationships mm -hmm. because immediacy is creating likability between people basically. And you can mm -hmm. do that like professor student relationships, like there's immediacy behaviors that teachers do. Um, and it's so when I was thinking about this, I was looking at all of you and thinking, oh, we're all doing it already because we're smiling and we're looking at each other and we're doing gestures and we're like facing forward, especially in the online format. So we're already doing all these things that promote liking with one another. And I think, yes, like doing those things in combination with being um, open and clear about your wants and needs is, is such a great combination. It's just hard to, 
um, be perfect at that, I suppose. I think an important factor to uh, think about too when I teach this to my students is yes, we do teach students that communication is extremely important, but what comes before that is self-confidence. We're saying you should talk, you should talk, you should talk, but like if you have low self-confidence, you're never gonna talk. So the first step is you know, increasing your self-confidence. When when you become a lot more confident, then the communication becomes a lot easier. So self-confidence is extremely important. You have to first hone that, then you're you feel confident, then you communicate, then you're uh, in a good setup for a good relationship. Mm, it is all about the self-love. So important. I mean. Of all the guests I've had, I'd say about half of the guests that I've had on this show have brought that up in one form or another. Um, it, I will also add self-efficacy. So yeah. like you need to be clear on what you want, but you also need to know how to do it. So like when Tara said, you know, everybody knows like you should communicate, you should communicate, you should communicate. And, and students know they need to communicate consent, right? But when they get into the situation, they're like, what words need to come out of my mouth? What messages do I deliver, right? We also need to like literally give the skills of like, okay, you know, okay, you need to love yourself. Well, what should you be saying to yourself in order to cultivate that? Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to communicate to my partner that I'm feeling confusion over their behavior because I'm not sure if they want to be in a relationship. How do I say that in a way that's not, I don't understand what you want and I want a relationship and you don't like nobody wants to say that, but there are plenty of other things that you can say where you can give these students examples of, Hey, try this. And you know what? Take it and try that this time. And then the next time, maybe put your own communication, you know, style to it or, you know, but like we can't, we say do these things, but if we're not giving them the actual skill, Mm. then they walk away going, yeah, I'm going to do that next time. And I'm going to love myself and I'm going to communicate with my partner. And then it's like, oh, I'm not going to do that because I don't know how. All right, Lori, I have a great niche on TikTok to bring to your attention. There is a whole world of people who are training folks to do just that. Now, some of them are (laughs) bad, Um, but some of them are really good. Some of them, some of them are based in the literature. Some of them are just based in self experience and like, you know, lived truth and are are still delivering that high quality message. So there are folks out there doing that sort of work in non-academic settings. And of course, uh, I think that all of us try to do that in the academic setting as well. Self-love, such an important part of developing any relationship, not just a partnership, but uh, any sort of relationship at all. And so I think that this might be a good place to end since we're coming up on the hour mark. Um, does anybody have any closing thoughts that they'd like to give before we hit the outro music? I think that Tara should plug her, her stuff for a second. Let's do that. Let's plug stuff. Tara, you go first. All right. Hey everybody. Sexual mindfulness. Go to lovebites.co. L-U-V-B-I-T-E-S dot co. (laughs) Thank you. Love that. Anybody else have any fun projects that they're doing? I think I just want to end with 
um, not only love yourself, but when you get to a relationship, don't compare your relationship to others. Create your own unique little world and uh, find happiness and joy in that. I think our joy gets taken away when we try to be like other people. Mm. Easier said than done. Just give me a heart emoji, girl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. I can't do it. I can't do it. How are you doing that? that? that that I'm doing it. Mark, you have a really old version of Skype. It's telling me, so you can't do it. (laughs) Maybe that's why there's such a delay. I think that's why. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This has been so fun. I've very much enjoyed putting together. And and again, I I know how difficult it is to like sync people's schedules, even though we're all signing in from like home, it's still really hard to organize. So I appreciate you doing this. And, and I know that I said this last time to you, but I just, I, I really give you props, James, for, you know, continuing to put this together and continuing to get these messages out and, uh, you know, inviting people on here to speak and stuff. I, I just, I know that there's a lot of things that I want to do to get my stuff out there but I might be too fearful to do that. So I know that you really put yourself out there on a lot of these platforms and especially with the podcast. So Mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate it because I know that having these voices shared uh, is really important. And for those listening, uh, do share the podcast. We love attention on the podcast. Do not find me on TikTok if you're listening to this. Um, (laughs) That is an area of my personality that is not at all representative of my uh, position in my university. Those are my individual thoughts and beliefs and they have no business on this show. So please hit that. There's an anti plug. Um, but do, uh, do find Tara on all social media platforms and everybody else for that matter, doing some really fun stuff. Well, okay. I think that that is going to just about do it. Thank you to my guests. Um, we'll be back for season three in the fall semester. And in the meantime, have a great summer. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.